Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. And welcome back to the Drivers Meeting Podcast. Uh, back with another episode after a weekend of racing at Martinsville. Uh, a few of the races were, were both of the races were rained out uh, until the next day, postponed, but some great racing. We'll get to that soon. Uh, we also have an awesome guest on our show today. We'll get to that real quick, but just a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online, as always, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. They have you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets. And it's free to sign up. So head over to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So our guest today, James Davison, and now we'll get started, you know, with, I mean, your best career finish, right? This weekend in NASCAR, Martinsville, 22nd. I mean, how's it, it's got to give you some momentum going into another short track at Richmond next week, doesn't it? was a great result for us um the the biggest thing i take away though out of it was just keeping our heads through all the adversity that we faced and having some surprising performance at the end of the race where we were able to hunt down the 42 and the 41 from a straightaway back on 80 lap tires and uh i just don't really know where that came from i mean the, the car was hooked up and I had obviously gotten 400 laps of practice leading up to that point or 450 laps of practice to kind of get the driving right. But, um, you know, we're, our cars can feel good, but we're generally a long way off the big top 25 cars. And, uh, yeah, we had a great run to the finish and um, obviously took advantage of the attrition and, Got our got our career best result. Um, also, you know, previous to that, twenty uh, third was my best career result at Daytona about a month and a half ago on the road course. So, the year's gotten off to a good start. Um, it certainly helps when you know you get upgraded to slightly better equipment. Obviously, last year Rick was never going to put me in his good stuff when I never driven the tracks or stock cars on ovals. It just uh, wouldn't have been a logical decision as a car owner. And um, yeah, it's uh, certainly uh, some good momentum for Richmond. Yeah, and and as a team, we can't talk about the small teams enough on this show. You got you know four, all four of the cars in the top thirty, three of them in the top twenty-five. You know, with Josh Balicki right behind you in twenty-third. I mean, that's got to be like a lot of momentum and just awesome stuff for you guys, kind of as an organization as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, Garrett, Josh, and I, we have a fantastic teammate relationship. We're genuinely happy for each other when we have good runs. Um, you know, as much as we want to beat each other, there's a lot of respect there. And, you know, we've raced hard. 
but fair and definitely don't deliberately try to, you know, screw each other or anything like that or, you know, lose our heads if, you know, we slightly get squeezed on one given corner out of, you know, thousands of corners that we raced against each other. You know, we, we, we get it. We understand it. So, yeah, I was pumped for, uh, for, for Josh. I knew that was a, uh, a very important run. He'd had a difficult start to the year. You know, um, he, he did his best fighting a lot of ad- adversities, um, you know, uh, but uh, eventually, you know, you can only hold talent back and, and, and Josh is a great driver. Also, JJ, you know, he had a bit of adversity in the race also, but, um, yeah, JJ's a great teammate who goes out of his way to help me and, you know, I think just showing respect to the older guy, not just coming in as a, you know, younger kid and thinking you're going to just, you know, show people how it's done, but showing respect and wanting to learn and stuff from the guys that have been there a long time before you goes a long way. So, um, yeah, I'm aware how much experience JJ has and, and uh, yeah, we have a good relationship also. And James, talk a little bit about the difference in expectations, by the way. So you have run every type of car, I feel like, in the world that there is to drive, right? So extremely diverse background of the, I mean, you've run in the Indy 500, you've run V8 supercars, you've run Xfinity, for Joe Gibbs, and now you're running in the Cup Series with Rick Ware. Talk about about the difference of expectations. Like, I think that was the the one thing that I heard from you early on when you started racing at NASCAR, and especially up there in the Cup Series for Rick, was that you just maybe you didn't understand just how far off the gap was from the front of the field to the back of the field. And you're a guy that's shown up in everything he's ever done expecting to win the race. And <laughs> now success kind of takes on a different meaning when you guys show up to a given weekend. Yeah, so I first got a preview of it when I drove the 90 car in the Xfinity Series um, with Mario Goslin, and this was back in 2016 when they were even more underfunded than they are now. Yeah. And, you know, I went into that weekend thinking, okay, it's another race car. How far off can these smaller teams be? Road America has been one of my strongest tracks in my career. Just I think we all have our tracks where you just show up and you do your thing and and it just you, you know you're you're on the pace and and then there's other tracks where it's it's much tougher for that. We all have those tracks as drivers and I mean I put together what I thought was a pretty good lap and I'm P18 two and a half seconds off pole and I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Like what? And then I watch some onboards of guys that are like a second and a half quicker than me. And I'm like, wait, that that's quicker than me. Like, yeah, there's no way that's quicker than me. What's that? Like, so it's a shock. It, 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 as uh, Parker Klingerman says, the performance difference in NASCAR is probably the biggest in world motorsport. Yeah. But you have to very quickly accept it and realize that it's all about doing your best with what you got with you guys and um, just slowly taking baby steps in the direction that you want to go if you're in an underfunded situation just overall, right? Like you can't go to a top team because obviously that's the limiting factor for all of us is, is the funding side. So 
I had an idea, obviously, already going into the Cup Series with Rick what it was going to be like. But then again, I had never driven cup, uh, stock cars on ovals. So I'm like, all right, like, you know, it, 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 I'll understand if I'm like a second a lap off the pace. But we're like three seconds a lap off the pace of ovals. <laughs> track and what it felt like was I was in an IMSA race when I did my first cup race I remember Kurt Busch leading and you know letting him go on the inside of me in a turn one when he got to me when we're getting like for the first time and then just seeing the side force and the roar of the engine of the, the top teams and I'm just like dude that that's a GT3 car. (laughs) So it was, uh, it was an eye opener. And I remember I tweeted after that race, uh, um, you know, just, wow, the, the, the performance disparity between the back and the front is just mind blowing. You know, I know what Parker Klingerman means now. And then Corey LaJoy, who I've never met, he just commented on the tweet with a GIF, the Bruce Willis in, uh, um, Die Hard 2, yelling out the window, welcome to the party, pal. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, yeah, dude, that, that's perfect. So now I understand what you, what the real struggle is here for so many of the guys that are trying to make it up to the front in NASCAR. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting disparity but it is what it is and if you don't like it well yeah and talk about also here you've driven so many different cars types of cars and types of racing dirt racing i mean everything in between now you've run a cup car i feel like you've probably got your sea legs under you at this point you've made enough laps different types of tracks you probably feel comfortable when you're getting in the race car now at this point so now out of all of these types of cars what's the hardest thing to drive Well, there is different cars that have different difficulties. So I'm sure everyone's heard what Jimmy Johnson has been saying about the IndyCar, that the faster you go, the more energy you've got to use. It just gets more anaerobic. It gets more physical. Your heart rate goes up every tenth you try and push because it's just more physical output on the power steering binding up, going quicker through the corner, having to brake later and harder, um, more G-forces, more of an anaerobic workout where you get less rest between each corner because you're going faster. Um, so IndyCar's big challenge is the, the physical side of it. You know, obviously the cars have got a lot of grip compared to a stock car, but it's a very anaerobic challenge um like stock cars on ovals indicates the same you're you're controlled by your car's capabilities so heavily you know i've done the indy 500 six times and i've been fortunate to drive some fast cars on two occasions um one in particular when sebastian bordet got hurt and I started last and I got to the front. And honestly, I didn't do anything different than all the other times where I'd ran a, around 20th, you know. Um, so as ever, the same deal applies. So much of it is the equipment and your balance and handling on the ovals. But 
on a road course, the big thing is that key word everyone says, overdriving it. It's just so easy to overdrive the cars. The, you know, to, to quote uh, Brad Keselowski when he tested at Austin uh, a month or so back, you know, he said, because these cars handle so god-awful, it's what creates such a great show. And yeah. it, it's just so accurate. I mean, I remember getting in a stock car and just thinking, dude, like, this is three times worse than I could have possibly imagined. <laughs> the car's capability, like the brakes, how what – I, what I would use is you've got to give – the car noticed in writing to do everything it doesn't do anything well but that formula they've got is what creates such a great show the drivers you know the drivers are throwing a ton of horsepower no a high deck tire no downforce front weight um high center of gravity i mean when you think of it it is the absolute opposite of an indy car in a form of a one car and they've got fenders on them and the rule books are free for all. So it just creates such an awesome uh, show and, and a lot of fun. And so, yeah, you've got to constantly adjust your driving to the tyre fall-off. I'm sure you know what I mean on ovals and road courses and back up your entries and open up your lines a bit so you can make up for the lack of forward drive or lateral traction by opening the radius of the corner. And I remember go at Richmond last year, you know, running on new tyres behind, let's say, JJ and Reed Sorensen, and then all of a sudden having difficulty or hitting a cliff with the forward bite off a four. And then seeing at the same time that I started to feel that, that all of a sudden they went a lane higher. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense to me. That makes perfect sense to me why they've all of a sudden gone a lane higher when all of our tyres are the same age. So, yeah, just understanding the um, techniques to the tyre fall-off is a big part of NASCAR racing. And there's a lot of adaption, isn't there, from the beginning to the end of a stint um, and a lot less than anything else, sports cars or IndyCar, where you have um, a tyre that doesn't degrade as much and a lot more downforce to help you. Yeah, and, and your first race um, in NASCAR was at Pocono uh, with Spire, I believe. And because I remember you were originally going to run Talladega, and then they said you weren't qualified <laughs> enough. Well, we all laughed at that. <laughs> we, we thought that was pretty funny, but you got to run Pocono. So is, is what you're kind of talking about now kind of what you were feeling when you went out there, like for your first few laps on, on the tricky triangle? No, no, because Pocono is a much bigger track that's nearly like a super speedway and we're running the high downforce package there. So you have absolutely zero traction issues at Pocono. In the middle of the corner, you can pretty much just go back to full throttle, especially if you're running like a PME engine without a ton of torque compared to some others. And you're in the 550 package, right? So you've got less power and a lot more grip. Um it's when I did my first short track, which was the next race I did at Loudoun, that I experienced what I was saying basically at Richmond. I really enjoyed 
loud and it was a good it was a good run for us um off the bat and that was my first race with rick ware actually so um yeah i like the short tracks but at the same time you know i love the super speedways and um the road courses of course so yeah looking looking forward to all these races i've got left there's maybe like 21 races left so i'm going to gain a lot of experience and and james you kind of had like it seems like this is like every driver's dream sitting in front of them where you had an opportunity to kind of go a bunch of different ways like you could have run different styles of cars and it seems like you've kind of fallen in love with nascar a little bit and so <laughs> somebody that has been in nascar and tried to pursue this my whole life i'm just kind of curious like you had all of those paths sitting in front of you and you knew what a challenge this was going to be running yep. for one of the smallest teams in the garage in the cup series Maybe people kind of chirping at you saying, oh, well, he doesn't have enough experience. Has he proven himself? And all that. You knew all of that going into it, and yet you still felt like this was the best path for you. Why is that? Well, the, the biggest thing is that I had an opportunity to go racing in NASCAR, get a start, right? Getting the start in anything is the biggest thing, just to get yourself a run on the radar. People know who you are you get your first race out of the way and you look after the car and hopefully you can run competitively as well. And so fortunately it, it went like that at Pocono. And honestly, going into Talladega where I thought I was going to make my first start or even Pocono where it turned out to be, I wasn't, you know, I didn't psych myself out about, the whole grand scheme that, okay, I've never driven a stock car on an oval. I've never driven this track before. I'm going, I'm not going to get any practice or qualifying and I'm just jumping in the car in the cup series and taking the green flag. And on paper, it sounded bizarre, but in my eyes, I just thought, okay, it's another race car. It's an oval. I have oval experience from IndyCar racing. I have stock car experience from driving on the road courses. So I have a little bit of expectation of what either, you know, what the car and the tracks should drive like, but the two of them together, obviously, I needed to just work into it. So I just built up to it. And like you do, you know, you just, you're a little conservative, but then you start seeing the pace of some of the cars ahead of you and you're like, okay, yep, I can start going a bit quicker here and there. And you just take baby steps off it. And, um, you know, Spire did a good job of giving me a comfortable car. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I just, so I got, I gave myself a start in it. And the reason why I was prepared to do it, because, I mean, even NASCAR, when they called me after the Talladega deal was announced and they said, look, we got a problem. And I said, okay, what's up? And they're like, well, look, we can't let you just run Talladega without any practice. Now, we know we approved you back in December to drive on all tracks in the Cup Series, but obviously times have changed with the COVID um you know, lockdown and, and no practice. So understandably, they had to do the right thing. But they said, is this really something you want to do? And I said, look, I would never have the opportunity to go stock car racing any other way. Um, you know, I, I don't have a relationship with a truck team or really the budget 
to do an Xfinity race um, as far as I kind of knew. And obviously the charter system in the Cup Series where the owners get a substantial payout from, you know, the television deal and all of that is what enables guys like Rick Ware um, partially to be able to make it financially viable to go racing and then cut affordable deals with drivers and their sponsors. So it was that element as to why I went straight into the Cup Series, not that I'm like, okay, I'm just going to skip Xfinity and trucks, not at all. It was the way the charter system works. So um, there was no other way for, uh, you know, apparent way for me to get a start. And I thought, I've got nothing to lose here. Like, even if it doesn't turn out good and I'm horrible, I can look back on my career and say, I actually drove in the NASCAR Cup Series, like what I was watching on Days of Thunder, you know, as a kid at five. <laughs> like, never would have I thought I would even end up in America, let alone driving in Indy or the or the Cup Series or whatever. And, and it was just like a bucket list thing that you could look back on um, worst case scenario and say, look, I had the balls to give it a go. And, and I, uh, yeah, drove, drove, drove in NASCAR. So, like I said, fortunately, Pocono went well. And as with anything in sport or business, like a good performance can then lead to a door being further opened and other opportunities forthcoming. So, that is how another 15 races were added with Rick Ware. Um, as a result of just getting a start, getting on the radar and taking that question mark away from you. Like, can this guy drive? Can he keep out of the way of the leaders? Can he look after the car? And, yeah, just that first race is a very important milestone for any driver in any series to get people's trust. Yeah, and so now you have gotten some experience in NASCAR for sure. And something came out a while back how you and, and Tommy Joe talks about you know the opportunities and all these things you had, and you know it said that you had the opportunity to run the Indy Five Hundred or, or certain amount of NASCAR races, and you know you're going to run twenty six NASCAR Cup Series races this year, and one of them is going to be the Coke Six Hundred. Awesome schemes, by the way. I love them um, for Rick Ware Racing. All, all four of them are awesome. And so you've done, you know, 400 miles, you've done 500 miles, and now you're going to get to do 600 miles um, in the Coke 600. So you're looking forward to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, obviously a, a big event on the, on the cup calendar. I've, I've known about it as a kid because I was watching the Indy 500 and seeing Tony Stewart jump out of the Ganassi car and on the helicopter to this, world 600 race in charlotte you know obviously i wasn't born and raised in america so um and open wheel was my family background but um yeah i've, I've known about that race for a long time and i know that it's a big day in nascar's calendar so um it'll be another bucket list experience to look back on and say wow i've driven in the bristol 500 Talladega 500, Coke 600. Yeah, it's uh, another classic. So um, looking forward to Darlington this year as well because we broke down after oh, 70 laps last year. 
probably 20% of the way through the, the Southern 500, we were out with an overheating motor. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to going back there and getting a bit more experience at that, <coughs> um, you know, very challenging track. <laughs> James, is that the toughest place you've ever driven? Um, hmm, let me think. Uh, because I say yes. I mean, obviously, I'm coming from a NASCAR background, right? Yeah. I stand hard that Darlington is the toughest track that we have. Yeah, and, and there's several there's several that are tough. I just believe that Darlington is the toughest place we go. It will punish you more than any track we go to when you make a mistake. Yeah, so I guess the the, the differences were uh, for me were that I didn't run more than twenty percent of the race. So right, had I been able to run all the race and seen where I was at with a fair chunk. I could better evaluate like, man, I did a lot of laps out there and I just still was miles off or uh, it was okay. You know, I'm, 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 that kind of remains to be seen. So that's why I'm looking forward to Darlington this year. Also, we run the high downforce package and I've watched that Xfinity race last year with Danny <laughs> and uh, Ross Chastain. And my God, I have never seen such a grip limited race car in my life as those closing laps how insane that was watching those guys do slide jobs on each other and just having nothing for grip it was awesome yeah. So, yeah like in your shoes running that a little amount of grip i can 100 percent see how that's the toughest track that probably a nascar driver will drive and also why all the fans are screaming for you guys in the cup series to get the same treatment as yeah. us. They want you to run that 750 package everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I so like at Pocono, you again, you guys were running the low downforce package. Everyone was spinning off of turn one. And I'm watching that Xfinity race before my cup debut, my oval debut in a stock car. And I'm like, man, like <laughs> it's, a lot of guys are wrecking. And there's a lot of wrecks. And I do. I, I, I'm just like – that's not the best confidence booster watching this. And then I go out there and, I mean, with the high downforce package, our cars don't snap loose once. Yeah. So that's where it wasn't that difficult for me because I was driving the car off the rear and, um, well, off the front, I guess. You know, it was the rear was stuck and so I was just front limited. And, uh, yeah, you don't have a lot of power. So, but yeah, I, I look at that and... I think it's good for all the Xfinity guys that they're really being thrown to the wolves in how hard it can be to be a NASCAR driver to prepare them for the toughest of situations in stock car racing. Yeah, I mean, that that that, that was an eye-opener watching that Darlington race and that onboard between Ross and Denny. Like, wow, that, that was insane to see how grip-limited they were. Never seen anything remotely close to that. Yeah, that that battle was crazy, and that's that's one of those classic Darlington finishes that'll go up there in, in the history books. And so you talk about how different, yeah, the Xfinity and the Cup packages were, which is awesome. That I'm glad you're getting to run the uh, the the Cups running the 750 package at Darlington, so that'll be cool. Yeah. And then you 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 listed a bunch of crown jewels, you know, the Darlington 500, uh, Coke 600, Talladega 500. So is it is it next on your bucket list? Now you still have to do, um, you know, Talladega and and uh, Coke six hundred. Is it next on your bucket list to hit the Daytona five hundred? 
Well, yeah, absolutely. I guess I just didn't mention Daytona because it's a much tougher race to secure onto your calendar. We all know that that's the race that everyone wants to be a part of and it's a lot more competitive to get a seat and more sponsor dollars are required. But um, I did do the Talladega 500 last year. Unfortunately, we broke down after 25 laps but then got back out there in the second half of the race. So I did get some experience. And honestly, I got out of the car at the Talladega 500 and there wasn't even a full crowd there because of social distancing, but I just looked at the whole atmosphere of it and how what a blast it was racing <laughs> in the pack. And I thought, man, that was as cool as doing the Indy 500. That was, that was sick. You guys have probably like to like hear a bit of my uh, personal experience from that race. So at the beginning of the race, you may remember Christopher Bell had a uh, tyre go down into turn three. <laughs> so, again, I had never driven that track before. It's a flat-out super speedway, but, so you know, and a, like a six-lane racetrack, so there's a lot harder places. But, of course, being in the pack and not being exactly dead last, you've got to get on with it very quickly. You can't just break into turn one or break into turn three when you've got people behind you and beside you and wash up the track. And so I remember just going flat through turn one and two at the start and then just feeling the car load into the banking and then it just getting tight on me and using more road. I was three wide in the middle or in the second lane and... Um, just this, is lap, this is lap one, by the way, right? Yeah, lap one. Okay. <laughs> lap one. And then just the thing getting tied on the exit of two and me using more road than, like, the guys in front of me did. And I'm like, well, I'm not even up to speed. <laughs> and what, if, what happens when I am up to speed and there's actually a guy on the top lane? So <laughs> I, um, we go down the back straight and then, of course, you, you, you start getting up to some top speeds in the big toe and everything. And then I'm like, oh, okay, shit. Like, here I go into, into turn three. And then I just remember seeing, like, four rows up, Christopher Bell, like, just starting to slide on the right rear. And I was like, oh, sh surely not. He's he's not spinning. He, he, he's, he's spinning. <laughs> he's, that guy is spinning. And I'm just like, okay, I have no idea what this car is going to do if I break and turn, if I'm going to spin it. And literally cars just went everywhere. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I was just looking at the situation and knowing like what the capabilities of these cars are and how heavy they are. I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. And somehow I just zigzagged through it all. And then because there was like 10 cars that had spun off, I then restarted 20th. So we go green. And then my first full throttle lap, I'm running P23, three wide in the middle. And I remember I was just on the top, like the second lane. And I remember like John Hunt and Imacek making it three wide and through the tri-oval at the end of the first full throttle lap. And I'm just like, no, no, dude, no. Like, man, I've never <laughs> done this before. And I'm just stuck. I'm like, got a car left, right, front, behind me. And I, all I could do was just hold it flat. And, you know, I was cracking the throttle a little bit, but 
you know, just kind of staying in there. I'm like, oh, no, okay, it's good, it's good, it's good here. <laughs> and that was just insane to be thrown in the deep end like that. But I just, you know what I mean, ran with it and, and had a blast. I was, I was gutted that we ended up, you know, breaking down, you know, very shortly afterwards. But super pumped for Talladega. I actually went to that race in 2002 as a kid with my dad and my brother on a family holiday from Australia. I remember it was called the EA Sports 500. Yeah. And the big heyday with all the junior fans and, my God, what an atmosphere and thing to see that was as, you know, a foreigner coming to America. It was like, whoa, this is, this is substantial. <laughs> you know, you're talking about a track too, James, that to most people that are watching NASCAR and fans, they go, oh, Daytona, Talladega, that's the easiest tracks. <laughs> and you're describing your first experience of doing that, kind of being thrown in the fire and just how much you were doing behind the wheel in the middle of all those cars. It's not, you're not just holding it wide. I hate to break it to everybody. We're not just holding it wide open around there and just kind of cruising around. You're working in the car the whole time. Yeah, and I mean, especially the smaller teams, right, because they've got to trim the grip out of the car downforce to try and make up for you know, the power deficit we've got. So the Daytona 400 was even tougher because the track is so much tighter. Yeah. And I remember just coming off of turn four, numerous laps, the car was pretty much straight. And then all of a sudden the rear just starts taking off and I'm just chasing it out to the wall and brushing the wall like lap after lap. And I'm like, man, what, what can I do here? Like, I feel like I'm completely straight. And then all of a sudden the rear just, goes loose when I'm on the complete exit of the corner. And um, that was extremely stressful because, you know, the deal, like if you cause a wreck, then how you get trash talked and uh, you shouldn't be out there and this and that, and you don't obviously get respected for just giving it a go. So it was, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was challenging that, that situation, but of course I signed up for it and, um, yeah, inevitably there was going to be some tough lessons to learn. Thankfully, not too tough. Uh, you know, the way we just <laughs> went into it, cold turkey. Yeah. See, and I want to talk. I want to talk about that more because you're you're speaking to something that I've mentioned on the podcast a bunch about the dynamic for the smaller teams and the drivers here, and how I feel like a lot of this, especially what you're doing, James, because you're driving for legitimately one of the back six cars in the in the cup series. Yeah. That's just pure performance based. Again, nothing against the drivers, you, JJ, Garrett, I've raced against all you guys, a lot of talent there. That's not the issue here. It's just a lack of funding and the equipment that you're dealt with, but you're kind of in a situation where it's a no win. Like, let's say you guys just go have the greatest race of all time. What's well, 28th. Yeah. Let's say on speed, you guys were just badass. All right. You're 28th quick. All right. Well, that's not exactly blowing anybody's skirt up. Really, the only way that you're going to get on the broadcast is something bad happening. Yeah. And then as soon as something bad happens, anybody is immediately going to say, what's this person doing out here? What's Or the leaders complaining about lap cars. You guys are just trying to run your race. And the leaders bitching out the lap cars saying, get out of the way. What's this guy doing out here? He's blocking all the time. So it kind of puts you in a spot where I think the diehard NASCAR fans, the people that really get it, they understand, like other drivers, really, when you get us calmed down out of the car, like especially me as a guy that's driven for small teams. I mean, I get it. Like, I get what you guys are trying to accomplish. I get how hard it is. 
but I think to the casual fan, just explain like maybe the respect level that you've gotten in the garage because you're you're a guy that I think commands a lot of respect with everything that you've done and raced. Was it any of these guys knew you from something else? What was the respect level in the garage? Were you treated as just like, here's this guy coming from, he's never raced a stock car before, he doesn't know what he's doing. And then the fans and the broadcasters and all of that, and like just how that's maybe, what's been your treatment (laughs) in the NASCAR world? Yeah, so overall good. And I think it's just a result of balancing your will to do well with not overstepping it and racing people overly tough now of course like I said there was going to be some lessons I had to learn where I'd you know go in and kind of touch someone uh, you know in the middle of the corner or something but as long as you know you didn't completely move them and or you do it consistently you know obviously people can be mad in the moment but then realize like okay it was just you know spur of the moment learning thing um like I said Garrett Josh, JJ, and I, we all have a really good relationship. Um, We're happy for each other when we do well and there's mutual respect. In terms of the top 25 guys, so I don't know many of them. I've I've met um, DiBenedetto, um, Kurt Busch briefly because he did his rookie Indy 500 when I did mine. Um, to Benedetto, I've met him in in the garage area, but really not that many others. But the biggest thing you see is do they acknowledge you positively when they lap you by giving you a wave out the window, out the yeah. window, and thanks, man. And so I've gotten, I've never gotten flipped off, so that's a start. <laughs> I definitely have. That's okay. okay. <laughs> You'll get and, there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get the wave from from all the top dogs, Keselowski, Logano, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, um, Truex. It's it's important, you know, like to, to, to make those guys happy, especially at Martinsville, um, just to, to get the hell out of the way. And, um, uh, yeah, so far, so good. Um, uh, you know, the the iRacing thing is obviously a, a different arena where we're all able to race each other on equal performance and in a small way show something. So that's been a good opportunity doing that pro-invitational stuff because um, not only is it, you know, what kind of performance that you put out there, but how you race the guys. It's all the same, right? Like you see there's a guy in front of you. Are you going to door him? Are you going to bump and run him? Are you just going to race people dirty or are you going to race hard but fair and and all of that? And so that's an opportunity also, I think, to gain a a small amount of respect that we otherwise wouldn't be able to as underfunded guys. So that's pretty exciting, I think, for, you know, guys like Garrett, Josh, Joey Gase, Timmy Hill, and so on. Um, that that DJ McLeod, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's when you think of it, it's it's um it's a really convenient thing for us underfunded guys to just try have a have an opportunity to 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 mix it. So um, yeah, no, no, no. I'd say overall it's been good um, 
inevitably you're going to have your disagreements with drivers. Like, look at the, the formula that it is. It's 40 grown men with ego and testosterone on bull rings and 800 horsepower stock cars with fenders. It's licensed automotive mayhem. Hmm. And that's what makes NASCAR so awesome and why I love it. It's just, it's such a great show and they've just kept the rules so simple and just give the fans what they want yeah you talk about let, let's talk about i racing for a second how, how much experience you got with that because you you went out and quietly won one of those heat races in the pro invitation yeah i wasn't expecting that i really wasn't like you know you we all believe in ourselves and all that but you're just not sure how you're going to stack up and um yeah, it went well, especially against Larson and Bell. I mean, I've been at the Chili Bowl, and again, it's not the real thing. It's not a digit and beat those guys in a heat. I'd be still finishing the race right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one. I mean, just to touch on Larson and Bell, I have never been so impressed with a driving display of anything I've seen in my life watching IndyCar on street courses. F1 Live, I've never been so impressed with a display of driving as to what I saw Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell do at the Chili Bowl. That is jaw-dropping, like so impressive. Entering corners backwards and their ability to get through traffic and the control of the car they have and how they know how to change their lanes and, oh, my God. it's And, and even more so because you have competed in the Chili Bowl. Yeah. Now. And so you're able to relate to it. Like, so I did a, a little bit of like eye racing before the chili bowl. And like, you know, I got the slide up and running the cushion. And of course you don't have, you, you have time to practice. Like at the actual chili bowl, you get one minute of practice, like no joke. Yeah. And I, same way that I did this NASCAR stuff. I'd never driven a midget. I never raced on dirt and I went to the Super Bowl of dirt racing. And it wasn't my idea. Just my main sponsor, David Bird, said, look, here's the opportunity. I can't get you any practice laps prior. Everyone slammed building the cars, but it's a way for you to get a start and just get some respect for giving it a go. So Ferrucci and I did the same thing. Yeah. And our first one minute of hot laps was just a joke, like half spinning it and just so off the pace and everything. And I think, you know, both of us ran into some dramas and made the freaking, you know, P main or whatever. <laughs> we were, it was just no chance of succeeding, but we gave it a go. And so then, yes, you look at what Larson and Bell could do and it was just unbelievable. So, yeah, the, the pro invitational race, it was called a, to, to run well, um, start on pole for the feature and, and finish in the top five and just have a good race with some guys side by side for many laps, like Ryan Priest and, you know, that none of us have raced each other before, right? Yeah. Trucks, Xfinity, of course, in Cup, we can't race them. So, yeah, it's just a, a, a good little opportunity for us to have some fun and put ourselves out there. Yeah, and, and Santino Ferrucci, uh, you mentioned him. He was another guy that was kind of in your boat. He came from IndyCar to, to NASCAR, and he's running with Tommy Joe uh, down in the Xfinity Series. Did he ever uh, come to you for some, some pointers, how to kind of adopt to the stock car? Um, so he and I met when we drove for Joe Gibbs 
in 2017 and 2018. I, I did Road America that year. Um, and to be honest, I knew nothing about Bell at that time. I just wasn't involved in any way in USAC or dirt racing. Um, and so at that point as well, Bell was very green on road courses, hadn't really gained any to much experience. And what are you doing? Because you're at the top of the time. So off the bat, we got along really. And then, yeah, he went out. I'm really excited. You're running um, at the Chili Bowl. And he, I remember him just saying, look, Will Spin is your best friend and a couple of other details. But in the end, you know, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can make it drink. I'm, there's only so much that Ferrucci and I could do when we literally started the heat having driven the cars for the first time. So it, it, it was tricky, but, um, you know, like I said, we had the, the courage to give it a go. And then now if we want to return, we have an idea what to expect. Yeah, I think um, that's awesome how, how, how much, like, stuff, like, diverse every series form of racing that you've been able to do the dirt is dirt racing something you want to like you hop into another dirt event sometime USAC or the midgets yeah i mean i'd absolutely give it a go at the chili bowl again why not um i think the track's slow enough and the cars are safe enough and light enough that you know they have like 90 flips there across the week and no one but i mean obviously statistics are a big thing um you know again if you end up up middle of the track everyone's not going that quick so they're all things that you need to consider aren't they as a race driver um but uh, i did two silver crown races as well so the big 800 horsepower kind of you know sprint car kind of thing looking thing and that was a blast i drove at salem and indianapolis raceway park and, man, I would recommend to anyone to have a go in those cars on pavement. That is, I mean, the horsepower <laughs> those things have is just unbelievable. Um, and Ryan Newman did the race at Indianapolis and we had a good race together. Uh, you got to look after your tyres for 100 laps, no pit stops. Um, and, yeah, finished in the top five with that. So, obviously, pavement's my background and um, that was so awesome i also did a, a sprint car race a year or two ago at anderson raceway park so a super small oval it could be a quarter mile just north of indianapolis and um yeah that was a blast as well it was uh just crazy crazy experience to to, to have again so yeah, I'm glad to, to, to have tried these things and just can look back and say, look, I, I gave it a go, you know? Yeah. So what, so what haven't you done? What, what is, I know NASCAR, um, it's awesome that, you know, you're here in our sport and, and, you know, continuing to, to make strides with us. But if you had to look, you know, more into the future, what, what is there anything else that you would like to kind of accomplish race in like a race, a type of car? that you haven't done so far? Something that I've seen, you know, since I've been a kid is watching those WRC rally cars with the just incredible, like, 
exhausts and diffuses and suspension and <laughs> the like stages they race through through the villages and I mean man that the, yeah. they are how sick are those cars Tommy like yeah my, it's pretty nasty <laughs> my God. typing like WRC top highlights 2020 or something like that is one of the most badass things but um you know, at, at, at this point, though, I'm not looking to just keep jumping ship. Really, the reason why I've driven so many cars is ultimately because I've just had to go where opportunity has been forthcoming or where I want to try and see if there was opportunity. So when I did my first Xfinity race in the 90 car in 2016 at Road America, I called Mario Goslin. I needed to get an idea of what kind of sponsorship it would take what was involved and yeah just kind of got myself in there and then again like i said you get yourself on the radar have a good showing and then you can start looking at taking baby steps and it happened a lot quicker than i expected that i was able to get in the joe gibbs car but um nascar's where i definitely want to stay and focus on a hundred percent I really love it. It's such a great formula of, of racing. It's very tiring and stressful. The amount of races you do, as you know, and how intense the races are, you can never relax. I think like as Rick Ware says, it's a working man's, you know, industry. Like you're, you're working hard all the time, all the travel, all the stress, the controversies, the challenges, the late, nights where the race finishes at 10 11 midnight and then you got to drive back to mooresville or to the airport and yes it's it's very challenging so um but you know the way i look at it is i'm, I'm really enjoying it it's i'm enjoying it more than indy car racing um and you know we're only young and got our kind of shelf life as a race driver for so long so why not just give it everything i can and no matter what happens if it turns into a fairy tale or i just kind of can't really get out of a small team situation like many many uh you know have that challenge of due to the financials well as long as you can look back and just say look i gave it my best shot that's all that's all you can do and be happy with what you achieved you know within what um you know god given talent you were given and what financial resources you had and we're all we're all fighting right for the same goal and uh yeah all, all we can do is our best well james i know you're a hell of a race car driver glad to have you as a part of uh <laughs> part of nascar and thanks a lot for spending a little time with us on the pod yeah, thank you. All the best for uh, your Xfinity season as well. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Yeah, I real quick, I looked up uh, while we were talking that video you were talking about at Talladega lap one, just to just to look at it real quick. And you you were in the black and pink, right? Black and pink. Yeah, car? yeah you weren't kidding. You, you went up, down, up. Uh, you avoid, I think you avoided Bell. You avoided someone else spinning. You were not kidding. That was <laughs> first lap. First lap. Yeah, that was crazy insane man insane but uh yeah but just a blast so 
Yeah, Darlington coming up. I can't wait. I know you can, You got any? Have you guys been thinking of any throwbacks? I know we got someone in here that's got an awesome throwback uh, for Darlington. Yeah, <laughs> I am not aware what we're doing yet. Last year we did a Tom Sneaver throwback. Um, since he was an IndyCar guy, of course, won the five hundred. Um, it was quite convenient to to do that. But what is your plans for it? Oh, I'm, do, I'm doing. You no, know, we already announced it. We announced it this week. We're doing a Rich Bickle throwback to old 10, 10, 3, 4, 5, uh Pontiac uh, from oh. the '90s, and it's it's a cool looking car. You're not going to be able to miss it. It's bright pink and neon and purple <laughs> and everything else. Every other color you want to think of, yellow. Yeah, you're going to be able to spot it pretty easy, James. I, I, hey, I tell you, your April Fool's joke about moving up to the. <laughs> <laughs> I totally bought that. I was like. Oh. Yeah. Given it a go, and that's believable that he, you know, got a car and he's going to go run it. And he just posted the iRacing thing because a lot of people are doing that as a way yeah. to draw up a paint scheme or whatever. And then, I don't know, you announced a day later or whatever that it was a joke. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it is April 3rd. I could thank the social media team for that one. I They reached out to me and said, we're going to do this. And I went, Look, we've never lied to anybody. People are going to 100% believe this. Yes. So so I wanted to clear the air the next day because I had media reaching out to me and everything, James. Yeah, it was. Uh, we have too good of a reputation in the garage right now. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, That's a good thing. <laughs> oh. Well, thanks again, buddy. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, you too. Chat soon. Awesome. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye. We're back here in the Drivers Meeting Podcast. James Davis, an awesome guest, provided a lot of great insight uh, on a lot of stuff since he's raced a lot. But we'll wrap it up real quickly here uh, with this weekend at Martinsville. Both races postponed to Saturday, or I mean to Sunday from Saturday. Your guys was from Friday. You had to wait a whole day. And then what? You had to rate, wait the whole cup race to load up and leave, didn't you? Yeah, so that was not ideal. Uh, we we didn't get home until about eh, about one o'clock in the morning, and we had to get there at about eight o'clock in the morning uh, on Sunday. So that was a pretty long day. Um, but I do know that those races at Martinsville put on a great show for the fans, and so that's that was still the main goal: getting those races in. Uh, Martinsville is such a cool place. Come watch a race, be a part of a race. And uh, we had a pretty good race car there for a little bit. Got to have a little fun. Wound up having an electrical problem and dropping back uh, to 34th. But uh, led a couple laps under caution there. Got uh, got used up pretty good in turn one <laughs> while leading the field. Uh, but was hanging around the top 10 um, for a pretty good little chunk of that race. And so that tells me we got a really good car. And we're really looking back to uh, getting there again in the fall uh, and, and getting another shot at him. Yeah, you guys had, because you guys were kind of playing a little strategy game as well, but you guys also had a fast race car, you know, like yeah. you, you did the last time as well. We were talking about that last week and, you know, yeah, you got used up on the restart. Man, that's just unfortunate. Just that, you know, it had such a good run. You were right. You were, I mean, you were, as far as you go, you're in first place, you know, for, for the restart and then just laps later down there. I mean, it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but hey, um, I imagine you guys are getting ready for, Talladega in two weeks. You got you got the car ready and everything uh, all set. Already on the setup plate, and uh, I know uh, NASCAR as a whole is going to another short track uh, this weekend and, and heading to Richmond. And uh, look, 
being at Martinsville this past weekend just makes you want to reemphasize the places that it feels like NASCAR really ought to be honing in on is these smaller tracks, uh, a little beating and banging, putting on a really good show for the fans. And now we'll get to do that again at Richmond. Now, Richmond is a short track, and it races like a short track. Yet, at the same time, you know that you can basically get around Richmond side by side pretty easily if you really had to. That, that's a place where you didn't really have to put a bump on a car if you really, if really didn't absolutely need to. Martinsville is a place where you basically have to bump somebody out of the way to get around them uh, if and when you're pretty close. And, and I think that puts on uh, such a good show. And it's convenient for us as race teams. It's an hour and a half up the road for us to get up there to Martinsville and get back, which is why they can push our races a day in the future and know that it's not that big of a deal uh, for us to get everybody back up there. Um, I feel like this is where stock car racing is from, RJ. Like we're, It's from the Carolinas. And racing on these little short tracks here in the Carolinas uh, it just makes you feel like you're, you're really a part of the sport. So going up there to Richmond, that's another great racetrack. And I know the cup guys and the truck guys are going to put on a really good show. Yeah, I love races at Richmond. I know sometimes it gets some hate because there's not enough wrecks, you know, for some fans and stuff like that. But like, really, I <laughs> yeah. liked the the fall race last year. I think uh, you had shades of Austin Dillon running up front. Brad Kozlowski ended up winning the race, but it was just a nice long run, you know, strategy involved. You know, it was really who got off pit road the best, who could have the best long run car. The relief fall off throughout the race, yeah, tire fall off as well. I really liked it. I mean, you like you like the races we're seeing at Richmond. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really that tire fall off is the big key there at Richmond, um, where you're going to see the comers and the goers. Uh, I think Richmond, it, it depends on the tire that they bring there year to year. But when they bring a really aggressive fall off tire, to me, that always puts on the best show where theoretically, you know, we just talked to James Davison. I love a race where if James Davison's on the lead lap with 20 to go and he's the only one that's got tires. James Davison is now the favorite to win the race. Like that's what I love in NASCAR racing and stock car racing. And I know when we go to these places like Darlington, we go to a place like Atlanta, we go to a place like a Richmond, potentially that that tire strategy is really going to play a big part of it. And as a driver managing the tires, just like we had to see those guys do at the Bristol dirt race where look, you're going to burn this tire off if you're too aggressive with it managing that wheel spin, managing your tires, managing the front and the rear over the course of a long run. That's where the skill of the best guys in the sport really has a chance to shine. Give them all this horsepower. Take away that downforce. Give them a tire that falls off. And let's put on a good race. Yeah. I, lo I love some short track racing. And there was a little uh, scuffle. I don't know if you had witnessed it on the track, but there was, I guess, Greg Alling and Joe Graff were a little bit... Uh, <laughs> A little bit angry at each other after the race. I think it was because of, uh, you know, Greg Galding wasn't happy with the way he was raced. He went up and moved Joe Graff. Unfortunately, poor Blaine Perkins was taken out in that incident. He was having a decent run, but he was just there and, and got taken out in their mess. Um, but I think the biggest thing that came out of this weekend was Josh Berry. I mean, short track fans all around the world were rejoicing with this awesome win by Josh Berry. You know, everyone loved it because everyone loves Josh Berry. They always say, a lot of people were saying it's, it's like the best way to come up. I mean, he spent so many years short track racing and grinding, trying to get, you know, another opportunity. And he did. And Josh Berry, winner at Martinsville. I'm, I was a big fan of it. Yeah. And I don't, I think that was a very popular win in the garage area. Uh, Josh's win there. And, and Josh and his team, the junior motorsports late model team, 
that Dale Jr. owns. Uh, Josh is the driver for that and, and has worked in the shop there for the last several years. It is right next to my race shop here at Martins Motorsports. It's uh, literally in the same parking lot as us. We share a parking lot. So uh, it was really cool to see that. Really happy for Josh. I'm sure he's back to work. I haven't seen him yet today, but I'm sure he's back to work in the shop uh, today. It's a, it's an awesome opportunity that Kelly and Dale have, have given him. He knows that. He knows that he needs moments like this to really stand out. And, and to be honest, he would have said going into this Martinsville race that he probably had underperformed. Now, some of that's bad luck, some of that's circumstance, like at Atlanta, for example, you know, that happened right in front of me, getting bumped down through the grass, tearing the front end off of it, right? Some stuff really wasn't his fault. Well, he goes and puts a stake in the ground there at Martinsville, a track that he has made probably 20,000 laps around, probably is one of his favorite tracks in the world, and he goes out and wins the race, and, and that's all you can do. And you know what? From experience here, I started on the front row side by side with the guy. When I was on the inside lane, he was on the outside lane. One of us spun the tires. This guy, the guy to my right, did not. And he wound up coming out of turn two with the lead. And the other guy wound up in the middle of three wide. So I'm just going to tip my cap to a guy that has been doing this for a really long time, has won up, run up front, won a bunch of races. And there's a reason he's winning at this level, too. Yeah. So it was awesome when, and like you said, another short track this weekend at Richmond. Um, as far as predictions, I think I had picked Brad Kozlowski to take Richmond again. Um, I, I did get Martin Tricks Jr. right last week, thankfully. Um, so I got Brad Kozlowski this weekend at Richmond. Uh, what about you? Ooh, you know, it, right now, I, if I had to pick a guy to win a race, just in general, and you told me, all right, you, I'm not going to tell you the track, but I want you to just pick a driver. Well, then I'm going to pick Denny Hamlin. I feel like Denny is just sniffing all around this. He, he didn't have a win yet, but he's going to a place in Richmond. He's really, really good. I like Denny Hamlin this weekend. Yeah. And I think that's a good pick. And Ahad does not have a win yet uh, this season. And he got passed with about 10, 15 laps to go at Martinsville. So I'm sure he's right. hungry for a win this weekend at Richmond. Same right. with Kevin Harvick. You know, a lot of a lot of interesting things coming out of these first uh, this first portion of the season. You know, no win for Harvick, Stuart Haas, you know, going, going down a little bit. They need to pick it back up. No Denny Hamlin win yet. We'll see. Going to be awesome to see what happens uh, this weekend at Richmond. And then we go to Talladega. So all uh, we got Arca Xfinity and Cup that weekend. So that'll be fun. But yeah, Richmond this weekend, I believe three o'clock on Fox is uh, the cup race. And then the, the previous day uh, on FS1 for the truck race. So it should be fun. We'll be we'll be watching. We'll what be spots watching. you guys got on the car for uh, for Talladega? AAN adjusters. We're back in that same uh, same rocket ship we had from Daytona. Uh, we're really looking forward to next weekend going down to the track that is probably the closest thing to a home track that I have in Mississippi, which is Talladega, Alabama. So that I'll have family and friends there. And man, look, the world's opening back up again a little bit here. RJ, we're gonna have fans in the stands. Uh, we get to Darlington here in a few weeks. We're gonna have. Hopefully, uh, some people back in the garages, some of our sponsors back in the garages. It's uh, look, we're finally getting through this thing. We're coming out the other side and, and we're looking strong. Oh, yeah. This offseason, I knew I wanted to get to some more racetracks. I'd only been to, to Daytona, to Homestead. And yeah, Talladega, we're taking, we're, we're going to take this little small RV down to Talladega for the weekend and just uh, chill out in the infield, I guess, for, for the races. So that'll be fun. That's the last race I know of that I'll, I'll be going to this season, but that's going to be fun. I can't, I've never been to uh, any races at Talladega. 
but I know it is a massive trap. Like James, I'll come, I'm gonna come try to find you and tell you both. Yeah, you gotta. I, I, I can't remember exactly. I think we're, you know, towards the middle section of the infield, but more towards turn. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, can't wait for that. So, uh, thanks again, uh, James Davison, for coming on here as a guest. We'll see who we grab uh, up for next week to preview Talladega and recap Richmond. Uh, but like I said, Richmond this weekend. And uh, as always, thank you guys for listening. If you made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Drivers Meeting Podcast today, wherever you may be, and hope you stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Apple Podcasting, Spotify, the Believe Podcasting Network, and much more. I'm not your stepping stone. I'm not your stepping stone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.